pray for your people. That they would know you the way you want to be known. And if they know you in any other way, I pray that you'd give them a heart to repent and a mind to repent, to see differently. I pray that their eyes would be open, their ears would be open. with you, Jesus. Because you're the most important thing, God. It's going to forgive your church for forgetting that reality. send them to the kids church you can if you want to keep them with you that's perfectly fine as well um, I apologize if that wasn't normal for you you can pray for us we're still learning and uh, I don't know I was gonna say if you have a better way let me know but probably wouldn't let you anyway That's why community is important. If I know you, I trust you. If I don't trust you, then... <laughs> yeah, that's how that works. You're not going to let me, if I don't know you, have a audience with your children unless you know who I am. That's just smart, isn't it? Uh, some people need to be smart. Okay. Y'all okay? You getting better? We good? Glad y'all are here. Thank you for coming. I appreciate every one of you guys. I pray Jesus touched your heart this morning. If he hasn't, I pray that he will and he'll continue to do so. Um, 
just be uh, lifting up the church of Jesus as a whole. God's wanting a whole lot more out of us than we're, frankly, giving. Uh, I don't mean financially. I, I don't care about your money. Uh, I care about the kingdom of God. And that kingdom lives in you. And if you undervalue that kingdom, you undervalue His. Which means if you undervalue yourself, you undervalue the vessel in which God's glory is supposed to flow through. And that makes you a thief. So let's not do that. Let's give Him what He deserves in us. You with me? Yes. If we weren't valuable, Jesus would have never died. He would have just started over. Yeah. yeah. You know, there's a parable in the Word of God where that's, in my opinion, misappropriated, misinterpreted. And Jesus says that there was a man who found a great pearl in a field. And he sold everything he had to go buy the field. And I've heard a lot of people say over the years, well, that's, that's us. We need to find Jesus and sell everything to go find Him. And I don't think that's right. Because you aren't looking for Him. <laughs> and you didn't stumble on Him. See, you're the pearl. And He's the one who left everything and came and dug in your dirt and bought your life because He saw something valuable in it. And while the church is focused on the dirt and everybody else, Jesus is focused on the pearl. And if you live your whole life looking at what's wrong at people, you don't have the mind of Christ. Because if you look at the pearl, if you look at the field without seeing the pearl, it ain't worth buying. It's just a bunch of dust. See, that's why God needs you, because He needs you to be able to see what He sees in others and in yourself. And it's up to you to protect the sacrifice that Jesus died to give you. Does that make sense to you? You have a huge responsibility. And it goes way beyond coming to church once a week. And if you reduce it to that, then you reduce the death of a God to a country club with a salvific membership that you participate in when you feel like it. It's already hard already. I haven't even started my message. I'm sorry. I just believe in you more than you believe in yourself. And I want you to see that. I want you to see what God sees in you. Because until that happens, nothing else can go forward. You're stuck. If you view yourself outside of God, God views you, His kingdom can never move forward. I'm sorry. You can have your own personal relationship with Jesus all you want, but it goes nowhere and affects nobody and it does nothing. 
because it takes a corporate expression of everybody being what God died to make them to be in order to satisfy the reason why God sent his son in the first place. You have a part in the gospel of Jesus and you're not irrelevant. I don't care what the culture tells you. You look at your life as it's completely ludicrous, stupid, simple, and unmoved by anything of power and might in history, but you're connected to the ancient days and the men of old. Do you realize God's writing your story and it will be connected to Moses and Abraham and Daniel and David and all of those people are watching your segment of life and we're looking back on them thinking they were the heroes and the Bible specifically says that they without us are not made perfect. That's a heavy statement to realize that David's looking at you going, if you don't finish what I started and what I did is means nothing. That makes you a thief. Go read Hebrews 11. So powerful. That God having provided something better for us. <laughs> I mean, the guy just lists all these great things that have happened. I mean, out of weakness were made strong, turned forward armies to flight. Women received back their dead in resurrection, shut the mouths of lions, escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong, turned foreign armies to flight. And he says, all this means absolutely nothing if you don't finish what they started. Don't let your job suck the soul out of your reason for living. Because some of you have allowed that to happen. You're living for your retirement. You're living for your kid's inheritance. I'm not saying that's wrong to store up something for somebody, but I'm saying that's not the reason why you're alive. Because if you don't train your children the way you're supposed to, they're just going to spend it on something stupid and your whole life is now invested in new video games. Congratulations. That's success. <laughs> I'm different. Maybe. I shouldn't be. But it seems like I am. Because I don't get, I, I don't understand people who don't have the capacity to put Jesus first. I don't understand that. I'm, I'm a fighter. I'm a warrior. I don't understand. There's one reason for living, and that's it. There's one reason for being alive. And death will make that real for you at some point in your life. And to have to pretend like you live in some fairyland gospel up until that point and then have all these regrets on the final day you suck your last breath out of this cosmos is silly to me. We have to renew our minds and repent for why we think we're here. If you haven't heard, we're on, we're on Mind Renewal. If you want to go back to listen to part one, two, three, four, and five, you probably need to, but if you don't want to, that's fine too. But it's on the website. And those of you who are new here and you might think, well, I, don't, I really like this place and I think maybe God's leading me here, you probably need to go back to the website and listen to a Sonship series and get the, get the DNA of who we are. Because you have to know who you are before you're going to know the purpose and why. God has called you to be where he's placed you. 
And it's one thing for somebody to tell you you're a son of God, but it's another thing to see in Scripture how it goes from Genesis to Revelation and how God's ultimate intention all throughout all theology and all mankind exists in that reality. The gospel's very simple. The Bible's very simple. We make it complicated. God wanted a family. He birthed the family. He lost the family, and he regained a family, and now he's trying to get the family he regained to believe that they are the family he died to make them. That's the gospel. It's good news because he wants us home. He wants us to be the children he made us to be. Simple. So we're we're trying to renew renew our brains. You realize you I have to maybe do get a little bit of backdrop. We don't we don't our brains don't get saved. I wish they did. I wish they got saved. I wish my brain could get saved. But I've had to spend the last 25 years of my life rehabilitating it. And it's amazing what damage the church did to me. And I don't hate the church. I'm glad I went through those things. I'm happy. I don't blame the institution, the organization. They're doing the best they can. But it is also amazing to me the amount of damage that was placed in me from the ages of 8 to 15 going to standardized church and how much I had to unlearn. Because you know what I found out? I'll never be a good enough Christian for the devil. And I found out I was listening to him far more than I was listening to Jesus. And some of y'all are doing the same thing. Some of you listen to, to the enemy way more than you listen to Jesus. You know what, you know what the enemy's thoughts sound like? They sound like you focused on yourself. That's why they're believable, because they carry your accent. He's an imitator. He's an imposter. He's a thief. He's a liar. And he'll get as close to you as he possibly can to look just like you, so that way you make yourself the God that you want to worship. That's demonic. God set you free. You realize that? It means you're free to to doubt, you're free to not believe, you're free to blaspheme, you're free to rebel, you're free to tear your brother apart, your husband, your wife, your kids, you're free to get distracted, you're free to love money, you're free to do everything you've ever wanted to do. But you're also free to come back to him at any moment, at any day, at any time. See how much hinges upon you? See, God's already done his part. I'm just waiting on the Lord, brother, for what? Why don't you step into what he's already given you to do and then see if you need to wait on him? So I, I, want, you to, I want you to turn to, well, I don't really know where I want you to turn. Can y'all just roll with me here for a second? <laughs> I'm jealous for your mind being devoted to Jesus. I'm so jealous for your mind to be devoted to Jesus that I don't, I'm willing to offend you to move you. Because if you don't get moved, you're going to stay where you've been the last 10 years of your life. 
And though it may be okay, you know it's not ultimate. You know it's not the reason why God gave you life. How many of you guys know that even in serving Jesus, there's this place that gnaws at you that says, there's got to be more than where I'm at right now. There has to be more than where I'm at right now. And if you don't have that thought and that reality, you need to get saved. Because if you're satisfied, you don't understand what it means to have the fire of the gospel burning inside of you. Paul says, I've learned how to be content, not satisfied. (laughs) There's a big difference. See, many are distracted in their life, in their spiritual journey with Jesus. Many are distracted from God because the view of God they have, the view of God that they've created, is not alluring. And so when we make Jesus into being, or God the Father into being something that's not attractive, it's easy to to not pray. It's easy to not want to come to church. It's easy to, to stay away. It's easy to make excuses of why you don't have to be around community. Because the God you made isn't attractive. And see, some of, I lose some of you on that because you're like, what do you mean? I serve, I serve the God of, of Israel. Well, so did the Jews. They thought the same thing. But they weren't serving the right one. Even Paul says there's another Jesus, the gospel of another Jesus. He says, don't believe it. Believe the real one, the one who died, who was resurrected, who was born again. Jesus says in John 4 to the woman at the well, you worship what you do not know. That that statement blows me out of the water, that God would walk to a bunch of people in the middle of church service worshiping, and he's like, "You, you don't even know me and you're worshiping me. See, what you, here, let me prove it to you. What you know of God right now is not the God who is, it's the God who was in your life. The ideas you have of God right now in your life are not built upon who he is, they're built on what he's done for you in the past. Because if, if, if you knew who he was, you wouldn't be where you are. And you wouldn't be where... You wouldn't be looking back to what he did. You'd be looking for something he's doing now. So praise God you've been saved 20 years ago. What about about yesterday? What about today? See, oh God, some of you know him as deliverer and healer because 10 years ago he delivered you. What is he today? You know his savior because we got saved 35, 40 years ago. What is he today? You realize there's so many names to God? Why? Because there's so many different parts of who he is. Have you fully immersed yourself into all of them? My favorite one is Father. His Father's a provider, he's a healer, he's a deliverer, he's a savior. You realize before Jesus we didn't have the right to call him that? Have you ever read your Bible and, 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 and read, and, and nobody ever called Yahweh, Ancient of Days, Elohim, the great I Am. Nobody ever called him Abba. <laughs> and Jesus comes in the scene, he says, let me teach you how to pray. Our Abba. Yeah. 
imagine a Jew in that day? Wouldn't even write the name of God out. Wouldn't even say his name. YHVH, because they, it was so holy. And now they're invited by God himself to call him Abba. It's more than just father. It's our, it's our American term, daddy. It's more intimate than just father. It's daddy. Our daddy. Do you realize that him teaching us to pray like that was us, him bringing us into our reality before we were actually able to access it? When he taught them how to pray, our father, were they sons yet? The, the blood hadn't been spilled. The DNA hadn't been released. You see this? That Jesus calls us into our reality before we're even ready to go. <laughs> so much he believes in the power of his blood in your life. And that's what some of you feel in your life. You're feeling the call of God in your life to be and to go where you haven't even actually achieved it yet. That he gave us the right to, to call him father before the blood was ever spilled. He taught us to pray that way. I mean, I'm, I'm, I imagine some Pharisees' heads were just blown. You cannot call him father. See, the religious spirit always hates intimacy. Always. They want you to perform to be good enough for the sacrifice that was given. When the sacrifice was actually given because you will never be good enough. The religious spirit is a very tormenting reality. You pray an hour, you should have prayed two. You fast a day, you should have fasted three. You loved five people, you should have loved ten. You're never good enough. You never match up. You never measure up. And it brings your failures to the forefront of your vision and puts them so close to your face that you no longer see your father anymore. And then you spend the rest of the time trying to clean up your own mess when the cross was actually good enough and what you're trying to do is create a sacrifice that was holy and pure enough for your own sins and you've ignored the one that is worthy of it. See, God doesn't really, God's not concerned about your sin. He's concerned about your unbelief and your rebellion. Yes. Am I saying that God condones sin? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying he believes in the power of the blood to erase it. You, you, you and I don't. It's our unbelief. You see what I'm saying? Yes. Somebody in a marriage, you start bringing up what happened two, three, four, five years ago. What does that? What does that realize? What makes you realize you you don't love? You're not loving in that situation because love covers a multitude of sins. Love remembers no wrong. You start talking about things that Jesus forgave, you're now speaking for the devil. Because he's the voice of the accuser. You use it on yourself and you use it on others. You know why? Because when you use it on yourself, you're going to use it on others. You treat others the way you treat yourself. Every time. You treat people the way you treat yourself. This is why we need to be healed. Because broken people break people. 
Our standards of theology is not good enough. What you think you believe isn't good enough. What matters is what are you manifesting to everybody in the image of Jesus, not what your theological expressions are. You are the manifestation of God. You're not the manifestation of theology. This is why families are so messed up because we all know that the people at church on families, you know, our families are like, oh, you know, my, my, my mom's this way on Sunday, but this is the way she is throughout the week. You can't hide. <laughs> we need to repent. You with me? Yes. So I want to prove to you a couple of things. First of all, that Jesus is the image of God the Father. that God the Father fully shared in the reality of the cross of Jesus Christ. In Colossians 2.9 it says, for in Jesus dwells, you don't have to turn there, in Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Isn't that what the Bible says? John 10.30, Jesus says, I and my Father are, are one. And Jesus says later on, have I not been with you for so long and you have not known me, Philip? Whoever's seen me has seen the Father. So what is the Father's desire but to also sacrifice himself for his children? You know how I judge Christian maturity? It's the ability for someone to be able to move past their sin and the speed in which they do so. Because an immature person will beat themselves up for weeks or months or possibly even years, whereas a mature person sees the value of the blood, knows the value of the blood, and knows that Abba is a father, and he comes to him, and I'd rather have my kids run to me than away from me, and we haven't figured that out yet. Because religion will cause you always to want to run away from him and not pray, which is why he's not attractive, because you've made this God in your mind that doesn't exist, and you're worshiping that, and Jesus says you're worshiping what you do not know. God never wanted to exist in statements. He wanted to exist in a person, people, flesh. The word became flesh. and dwelt. Why? Because that's the goal of the word of God. Never to be a mental theology, something you can toss around cheaply over coffee. It's a manifestation in a human presence. And if we don't have the power to release that in moments of difficulty, I wonder if we believe what we say. Because it's not good enough to have proper theology. I, do, I agree with proper theology. I just think proper theology should be manifest in people the way it was manifest in God. Yes. And we've lowered the standard of our life thinking that Jesus is way up there and we're way down here when my Bible says I'm seated with him in heavenly places, which means I need to raise my standard of who I am because he raised it for me. And I don't have the right to define myself any other way than through his blood. Amen. And if I live and think in any other way than that, I am not fulfilling the glory of God and what he died to give me, which is robbing him of his honor. Yes. Having him fully adopting me into his home. And yet me walking around like I'm an orphan. And him honoring that because what I believe is what he gives power to God's power exists behind what you believe, even if it's against him. He honors you so much in this earth that he will empower your unbelief even against him if it's what you want because he loves you so much he will not override your will. He won't do it. 
He'll pursue you and pursue you and pursue you, but he will not override your will. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 19. We're going to go there. See, Christ is the standard of how we need to view God. Why do we need a renewed mind? Because with an unrenewed mind, we create a God that doesn't exist. And then we try to worship him, and it doesn't work. And then we feel dejected, rejected, outcast, offended. And then we wonder why things aren't working for us, because we're not actually seeing God as he is. Do you know why Jesus was the first prophet in the Bible to actually be able to heal blind eyes? No one was able to do that before him. Why? Because God reserved the right to himself to be the one to open the eyes of mankind alone. Why? Because when men's eyes are opened, they're supposed to see him first. Nobody else. No other prophet had the ability to be able to open blind eyes because God didn't want anyone's eyes opened. And the first thing they saw was another man. He wanted them to see God. And that's what salvation is. It's God opening our eyes so we see him. Not a preacher, a pastor, or a conference, or some ministry, but him. And he alone can heal our vision of him. If we've created something else in our mind's eye of what he looks like, only he can heal it. And the only way it can be healed is if he's manifested where someone can see him. We manifest that presence or that reality or we don't. Literally, people are turned off to the gospel or turned on to it by your life. It's wrong for the church to think, well, that's just the pastor's job and he's got to be perfect. If you expect me to be perfect, then I expect you to be perfect because that's a two-way street because my Bible says that we're a body. My Bible says that the five-fold gifts are temporary, which means your placement in the body is actually more important than mine. And then churches get mad at pastors who hold them to a higher accountability. (laughs) My job is to equip you because you're the force of the gospel. And we've turned it on its head in America and make the pastor everything. He's nothing. You realize in the kingdom that the greatest is the least? You forget that principle? Everybody wants to be on stage, but you know what you're asking for? You're asking for a lesser position in the kingdom. Not only that, you get double judgment. Why would we want to do this? Because we love him and we love his people. Oh, okay, y'all make it to Luke 19. Let's look at this, verse 20. This is a story of the talents, right? And Jesus gives things to people, and he leaves. God puts an investment in people, and he lets them use it however they want. Do you get that? He doesn't come back in the middle and go, hey, how, are you doing okay with it? Are, are, we, are we making money? Is, is, is the investment working? Literal silence. Nothing. And you know what happens to, to, to lazy workers when the boss is gone? Some of the businesses are like, amen. (laughs) 
And do you know why God lets everything remain silent and he doesn't come in and check on us? Because he doesn't want to manipulate us. He's going to let what is in our hearts determine the deposit he placed within. And so it's almost like at the very end, he's like, surprise, what'd you do with what I gave you? Well, I spent it all on myself. I lived my whole life for me and my family and my new house and my money and my job and my career and my future and my husband. And he said, was there any left over for me? Well, not really, Lord. See, you call them your kids, but God has no grandkids. See, when you get to heaven, you're going to be reduced back to what you were when you were born into this life, an individual. You get that, right? You read your Bible? There's no marriage in heaven. Whose children are they? They will be individuals. You have children, that's a heavy cost because then you get judged on how you raise them. Why? Because how you raise them determines how they look at God. And if you've created this Thor lightning bolt dictator mentality over your children, then God has to spend another generation undoing what one generation should have done. Does it make sense? The weight of what God has given us in this life. Do you realize you were born in this country for a reason? Not so that you could selfishly consume it upon yourself and be a spoiled brat American, but so you could actually position yourself in the kingdom of God in such an influential way that many people around the world would dream of having the reality of doing. There's some people that wish they could give $100 to a ministry just to be a blessing. Don't tell me the heart of the widow's might is not out there in, the, in people. They just can't. I've been in foreign countries before where they're so poor. Mud huts in the middle of nowhere. I mean, literally, an 80-year-old woman, two oranges left on her tree, and that's it. 80-something years old during service, which is nothing more than three people gathered around a guitar with only two strings. It's severely out of tune. And she's over there in the tree beating down those two oranges with a stick and comes over to me and hands them to me with this toothless grin and offers me everything she has. (laughs) You know what I thought in that moment? I wish Americans were like this. That's what I thought. I wish they had this heart. Many of us don't. Too busy trying to get that 401k built. (laughs) I'm not against wisdom, y'all. I'm not against money. Just don't let it eat you alive. So he says, another came, verse 20. He says, here's your pounds. This is the guy that got given a a talent. And then he says, I'm going to hide it in the earth. And whenever he comes back, I'm just going to give him what's his because I'm I'm not going to deal with all this. I can't take the pressure. I'm, I'm too busy. He's not what I think he is, so he's, I'm just going to give him what's his. Listen to what he says. Verse 21. 
for I feared you. Now, is it wrong to fear God? No. But is it wrong to fear him outside of what he makes fear to be? See, because you realize that that when the, the word says that we need to fear the Lord, we automatically start trying to fear him the way we fear the devil. But do you know that word fear, it it means it's like reverence. It's the same way you would fear a father. You're not afraid of him. But but you know he means business. My children aren't afraid of me, but when I get a certain tone or snap my finger, they stiffen up. Why? Because what comes after that usually means they're doing something wrong. And it's not going to be me hanging it over their head. It's going to be me trying to instruct them in the ways they should be going. You see me? You with me? He says, I feared you because you are a hard man. Was he? See, you see, you realize that this is God, this guy's reality. He thinks God's a hard man. And that's how he lived his entire life. In his mind, unrenewed, thinking God to be something he's not. And he spent his entire life thinking that way. You take where you did not lay down and you reap where you did not sow. This is his idea of God. <laughs> you're just waiting to come in and take everything that's mine and you're, and you're just constantly just wanting everything from my life and you just, all you are is hard and difficult and, you, and I, you know, I just can't take that kind of relationship. You see, have you ever met somebody in your life that didn't really know who you were and they thought that you were different than what you really are? God feels the same way. See, I stand up here, and if you only know this about me once a week, I promise you this, you have no clue who I am. (laughs) That's my wife. There's days she's just like, they, they just don't know you. They don't know who you are. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. But if this is the only thing you know of me, then you create the idea of that this is me. But guess who's wrong? You are. <laughs> and if I do the same thing to you, guess who's wrong? You are. I am. And if we do the same thing to God, guess who's wrong? with me? You're a hard man. And God says to him, listen to this. This is so powerful. Out of your own mouth, I will judge you. Out of your own reality, I'll be the God you want me to be. I'll respond to you into the caricaturized version of me that you made. 
you wicked servant. Right after he says, out of your own mouth I'll judge you, he says, you wicked servant. I wonder if the statement of him being a wicked servant came because God said, I'll judge you out of your own mouth. Are you with me? You know why you need your mind renewed? Because you need a version of God who will actually make you want to go pray. Instead of, I have to go pray. (laughs) You need a version of God in your head that's real. Who makes it exciting when he begins to share his deep mysteries with you when you open the word. And you read stuff that jumps off the page, goes into your throat, jumps into your hearts, and starts doing a dance that makes you go, (gasps) never saw that before. Because see, Jesus says, unto you it's been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of, of God. Not unto them. Well, if it's given to me to know the mysteries of the kingdom, then I want to know them. You know why? Because the last mystery I unwrapped was actually pretty, pretty awesome and I'm still trying to get over it and I, I can't. What was that mystery? Christ in me. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Christ in me, the hope of glory is the mystery of the gospel. That doesn't make sense. How can Christ in me, when God made creation and he spoke it into existence, the cosmos began to expand. And science tells us today that it's still expanding from that same word that was spoken 10,000 years ago. Which means the cosmos does not have the ability to contain God. Yet somehow I do. That's a mystery. I can't get over it. God's inside of me. How? I have no idea. Because I'm a little bitty blip on the eternal radar. And yet he chose me to be his habitation. (sighs) You can have your religion. I don't want it. Out of your own mouth, I'll judge you, you wicked servant. You knew I was a hard man, you taking up where I did not lay down and reaping where I did not sow. So what does God do? He says, okay, I'll take from you what you have. Takes his one talent away because that's how you think I am. That's how I'll be to you. See, your day of judgment depends on your ability to process what God worked into your reality. Do you believe? Or are you still convinced of your sin and not his blood? Your sin is weak. It's pathetic. You put his blood in the in that in that room, it just goes somewhere. It disappears. And it disappears from his what? How come it doesn't disappear from yours? It should, because you have the mind of So if you know that you have not been able to let go of confessed sin in your mind, you also know in that moment you're not thinking God-like thoughts. You're thinking demonic thoughts. 
because demons thrive and feed on sin. And it's how they bring division to you first and then the people that you're around. See, division can't come to a group unless it first comes to an individual. Division can't come to a marriage unless it first comes into a spouse. Division can't affect anybody around you unless it first affects you yourself. So the goal of the enemy is to make you divided against yourself. You know what that's called? Unbelief. In one moment, in one side of your mouth, you're talking the right theology, and the next side of your, your, your mouth, you're not believing by your lifestyle the very theology you say you possess. And you're divided, you're split. You're schizophrenic. And if you stay that way long enough, you'll have to go get some medicine. See, God literally responds to man as man thinks him to be. Do you realize that, G- that Jesus calls you a king and a priest, lowercase k, lowercase p? That's why he's the king of kings. It's not just Biden and Putin. You're a king, but he's king over you. However, you know what type of king he is? He's the type of king that will not usurp his kingdom over yours. He's not a dictator. He will not demand access into your life. Why do you think he teaches us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done? Because in that prayer, we're inviting his kingdom to come because it won't unless we let it because we have authority. So you need to invite the kingdom of God back into your marriage. You need to invite the kingdom of God back in your heart, in your life, in your prayer. Because without it, it's just you trying to work for God instead of with Him. And the more you work for God without Him, you're going to create a religion to sustain Him. And He doesn't need your religion to be sustained. That's good news. That He can exist without my theology. He's done it way before I ever got here. I know it's important to you. I know mine's important to me. But He really doesn't need it. Your head is not valuable to him unless it's renewed. In fact, it's the exact thing that opposes him until it is renewed. And many of us have improper ideas of who God is in mind renewal because we don't know, we've not seen him as he is, we haven't allowed the healing, and we've walked in rebellion and disobedience and unbelief and doubt and, and focusing on our sin and focusing on the sin of others that it's caused us to understand God in a way that he doesn't exist in. And what we call prophetic natures end up being nothing more than critical censorious spirits of suspicion. Well, I'm just picking up something on that person. How about you pick up on the need for you to die for them? How about you pick up on that? How about you pick up on the need that you need to serve that person instead of pick them apart for what they're doing wrong? Well, brother, I'm just picking up on something. On what? There's demons everywhere. Well, I just don't know. That church just got some issues. You go to Walmart and it's got more issues than the church. It's not discernment to sit there and pick apart your neighbor or your husband or your wife. I don't like that pastor. He steps on my toes. Well, at least he loves you enough to to tell you the truth. Dear God, would you just rather him just pump you up and 
keep you dependent upon him so he can take your money once a week, make you dependent upon a system so that way he gets rich and fat and happy and sends you along your way just so you feel better about yourself? No. <laughs> That's a lot of churches. Not all of them. See, the value of the kingdom of God and its reward is determined by a view of God that we have, whether it's accurate or not. Does that make sense? This guy dug and hid his, his talent because God invested him in something in this man. But he didn't value what God placed inside of him, therefore it ended up being his demise. And the reason he didn't value what God placed inside of him was because he didn't value God who gave it to him. And the reason he didn't value God who gave it to him is because he didn't value himself whose image he was created into. You were created in the image of? Then why do we always act like the image of the enemy? That's the plan of the enemy, to get the image of God to do things God would never do. To believe things that God would never believe. See, in, in, in the enemy, to the enemy, you look just like, you, just, you look just like God. I'm not saying you're God, you're not God, but you look just like him. Do you realize that the ancient rabbis would actually, when they read the text of Adam and his birth and his formation there, not his birth, his formation there with God and breathing into him, the, in the, in the, the ancient Hebrews would actually read that text as if when, when uh, this, the traditions were passed down, was this, when, when, when the angels saw Adam, they couldn't tell the difference between him and God. Does that mean you are God? No, it just means you look like him. We think, oh, that's heresy. Well, is it heresy when I have a child who looks just like me? Because I have one. She's a female, but she looks just like me. She acts like me. Stand up, baby. <laughs> you want to know what I'd look like as a girl? There it is. show you my little my little boy picture you can sit down so anyway. you understand what I'm saying I'm proud of you too see see the carnal mind cannot value the investment that Abba puts into his children the carnal mind cannot value the investment that God places in his children the carnal mind cannot value the investment that God places inside of you. And the more you don't renew your mind, the more you're actually just warring against yourself. You know what that's called? Division. A house divided. And then we wonder why our Christianity is blowing us all over the place. Listen, if y'all, some of y'all would just stand on what God has said in your life. I'm not talking about distant promises of a car or a house or a, 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 a husband or a wife. I'm talking about what God placed in you on the cross. If you stand on that, instead of giving in to what your head's always telling you and you forcing this to obey that, things would change in your life. You're like, well, I tried that. Well, how long? Well, for two weeks. Try it for two years. 
Look, it took you it took you from the moment you were born up until now to start thinking the way you're thinking. You think you're going to change in a week? No. Those who make it to the end, those are the ones who really love Jesus. Why? Because they had to go through a lot to undo this. And they never quit on him. They never quit on him. You with me? Yes. I want you to go to Matthew 4. I'm going to try to finish this up. Oh, how long have I been preaching? Tyler? Forever? Huh? 55. Sheesh. Somebody said the other day, man, he preaches for like an hour. I'm like, man. I'm sorry. You should have known me 15 years ago. My church would have rejoiced if we got out over an hour. Just an hour. I have gotten better for you. You just don't know me well enough to know that. In, in, uh, did I say Matthew? I'm sorry. I, I mean Mark. Oh, one of these days I'm going to put my glasses back on. All right, so Mark 4, 14. I want to show you the principle of mind renewal and what Jesus places as a timeline of his word and how it works in our life. Now, I was reading this chapter a while back, and I mean, many years ago, and I began to, to really look and in, dive into this segment because Jesus says, if you don't understand this parable, how are you going to understand any parable? He never says that about the rest of them. So there's something here that we need to pay attention to. And he tells the parable, and then in verse 14, he starts to explain what it is. In verse 14, he says, the sower is the word. Yeah. He, sow, he sows the word, right? So what is the word? It's Jesus. So he tells us right off the bat that he comes in seed form. Small, insignificant, something you would miss. Isn't that kind of how he came to, the, to this earth? When the Jews thought he was going to ride in on a stallion from heaven with angels behind him, he came as a baby surrounded by donkeys. Does that make sense? The word comes in seed form. It comes to your life in a way that is insignificant. Why? Because in the insignificance, the enemy misses the practicality of God placed into your life. Because the enemy wants you to see the big things, the big stuff. I want to be on a stage someday. I want to hold the microphone. The problem is, is that how you get there is you take care of the widow's mites and the small seeds up until that point. And then when you get there, you realize it's not what it was cracked out to be. Because then you actually got to lay on your face for people and not just preach to them. So if you're just preaching to them and not laying on your face, you're going to hear the Holy Spirit going, I didn't make you to be a mouth. I'm the word. You do what I'm doing. Well, what are you doing, God? Well, go to my word and find out. Then I go to the word and find out. And it says he's ever living to make intercession for us at the right hand of God. So what I figured out what he's doing, he's praying. <gasps> if you're not praying... Stop ministering. If you're not praying for those you want to evangelize, don't evangelize them. Because you're going to do it in your own strength. Yes. Does it make sense? I don't know why that was a rabbit trail. Sorry. Verse 15, he says, These by the wayside are uh, the word is sown. They've, been, they've heard the word. Satan comes immediately, takes it out of their heart. And that word heart can be also translated as mind. 
So the word comes, Jesus comes, he, he places a word in front of you from the pastor, from a prayer time or whatever it might be, a conference, whatever. And the word comes and you hear it and you're, 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 you're listening, but you're not hearing. And as soon as you walk out the door, you're worried about where you're going to go eat and you get back in cause in your day and you just do what you're, it's just gone, gone, whoop, it's gone. Forever stolen. Sometimes I, I don't. Sometimes I don't ever do this, but sometimes I want to go. Hey, what do I preach on? You know, well, I mean, we're on session six, so I have to go back farther than that because you go, oh, mind renewal, you know. But what did I preach on two months ago? Uh, people don't know why because we sometimes don't hear what's being said. We listen, but we don't hear, and the devil comes and takes it right out of our mind. Why? Because it's in your mind is where that seed begins to grow. Somebody preached the gospel to you. You heard it in your mind, and then it started burning in your heart. Jesus was preaching to those guys on the road to Emmaus. They heard it, and then their heart started burning. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. With me? So we have to hear and process mentally. And then when we begin to process mentally, our hearts start burning inside of us. Okay, and so this these people for, just forgot it, and that happens in a very long period of time. So that's like a, a couple hours that this process happens and takes place. The pastor's preaching too long. People are looking at their watch. You know, he keeps saying he's going to end it, but he doesn't. Verse sixteen. And these are like those that are stone, on stony ground. They've heard the word and immediately receive it with gladness. And what happens? It says, and they have no root in themselves. And that word have can be translated to hold. They don't hold on to what God gave them. And over a period of time, it says that trials and tribulations come and they begin to be offended for the sake of the word. So, you know, if, after 25 years of preaching, what I've learned is, is that we think this happens in the first two weeks. Now, this is a two-year process. Two years. Two, two, to, two to four years this is where I see people fall away. They get saved. They start, and everybody's like, oh, man, they've been doing so good. They're, they're, they're just doing awesome, and they've been a year saved. I'm like, well, that's, that's pretty typical. It's pretty par for the course, actually. Why? Because they're in the honeymoon phase. Right. And grace is all over them. And, and man, God just protects them from a bunch of stuff the way a mama would protect a baby. Because God's a good God. He's, a, he's got the mothering capability. Adam possessed both male and female inside of him before it was separated because that's who God is. He's both male and female. He's, he's got the mothering side and he's got the fathering side. He's, he's fully complete. And he keeps those people from harm. And then pretty soon, though, he's, they got to start growing up, don't they? And then you got to start kind of teaching them and, and then whipping their little hineys a little bit. Well, of course, we don't do that in this generation, which is why we're going to have a bunch of people voting in four years. It scares me. But nonetheless, <laughs> God begins to grow people up. And then when that happens, he allows persecutions and trials to come. Why? Because everything has to be tested. Yes. And they're not used to that, and they're used to this grace, you know, this heavy grace and presence, and this baby's like starts, throws, starts throwing fits. And then, and then they don't hold it. They don't hold the word that birthed them. They don't hold the thing in their mind. They haven't been taught that you're going to have to suffer at some point. You're going to have to begin to go through some things at some point. Don't get disheartened. Change how you view Christianity. It's not always going to be like this. You've got to get ready because stuff is coming to your life. 
Nobody tells them that. They just say, keep coming to church and just keep believing. And then when calamity hits them, they're like, man, God, I thought you were with me. Yeah. He's like, I am, but I'm with you in the midst of your trial. I'm not going to save you from it. Right. And then they blame God when it was the enemy who came and God's just using the enemy to make you strong, but yet you left because you had a wrong idea of what he should do in your circumstance. And after a couple years, these people fall away from God. I've seen it happen over and over and over and over and over again. You do this long enough and you see stuff. Right? Verse 18 says, and these are those who were sung among, sown among thorns, and they hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things entering in, choke out the word, and becomes unfruitful. This is the most dangerous one. Because this happens about year 5 through 12. You've been in church long enough, you've heard all the sermons, you think you know everything because you've heard all the sermons, you think you know all this stuff, you think you can answer all these questions, but then what happens is, is that you kind of grow a little stagnant in your life, and you kind of start getting complacent in your journey with Jesus, and you're not as hungry as you were, and you've got this nice green plant in your life, and nobody can tell you that you're not born again, and nobody can tell you that God didn't do something in your life, and nobody can tell you that you're not changed because you're not a seed anymore, and you made it through that persecution trial time, and you made it through all that hardship and you made it through all those struggles. But guess what? You, get, you realize that, oh, well, you know, I've kind of slipped into this little rut and this routine. And then you start caring about, well, I got to take care of my kids. I got to take care of this. I got to take care of that. And then pretty soon your job, your career, and then all these stuff starts choking out your life. And then guess what? You have a plant, but you have no fruit. What is fruit? It's just more seed. In other words, you're supposed to birth something in someone else that was birthed in you. Without replication, there is no fruit. What is the whole goal of God's deposit in this story? It's replication. Fruit feeds others. And then when others eat that seed, it's also deposited inside of them. But the people who have the cares of the world, they stop caring about other people. They stop making their life about the gospel. They have good theology. They've got a good experience. They've got, got, got a good you know, history with God and all these things that have happened. They can talk to you about what's, what God's done in their life. But they make no disciples. Because they're concerned about this life. And it chokes it out. All of these happen because the people in the stories did not renew their mind. They didn't keep what was important focused in the forefront of their vision. That I exist for the kingdom of heaven. I don't exist for money. I don't exist. Pain doesn't mean anything. Persecution doesn't mean anything. Trial doesn't mean anything. All all it means is that God is with me through everything I'm going through, and I'm not going to see it any other way. I refuse to see it any other way. And my goal is people. Why? Because God's goal is people. Why? So God can be glorified. Without people, God can't be glorified. It's impossible. If God existed by himself without people, who would he get glory from? What good is an all-powerful God who we know could beat the enemy? There is no glory in that. It would be like me arm-wrestling a two-year-old. There's no way that it could win. Does it make sense? But then God incorporates his people into his warfare, into his glory, into his purposes, and he causes the two-year-old to take out his greatest enemies. Oh, 
God doesn't want to just subjugate the devil. He wants to humiliate him. How does he humiliate the devil? By letting you beat him. Because you are frankly weaker than the enemy outside of God, but inside of God, greater is he who's in you than he's in the world. And you get this mindset and you realize that nothing can stop me. Yeah, I may go through some things. I may lose some people. I may lose some, some relationships. I'm gonna, I'll probably lose some stuff. It's going to hurt. It's going to suck. I'm not going to like it. It's going to be bad. But you know what? It doesn't change, doesn't change the reason I'm here. People come, people go. The kingdom stays the same. You with me? This is why it's important to renew your mind because how you view God determines how you present Him to everybody else. If you don't stay in your journey... Walking with the king, people are never going to know it's possible for someone to do it. What we have created is a Christianity that's okay with being neutral and sterile. And you and I have adopted that our current level of living right now, the way it is, if I could just get God into it a little bit more, it'll be okay. And that's just so wrong. Because where God wants to take you is so far away from where you're at right now, you don't even understand what it would look like if he showed it to you. But sadly, many people don't achieve it because they don't believe it and then God honors what they believe. Paul says, don't you know whoever servant you are, you, that's the one you obey, whoever you obey is whose who slave you are. If we don't renew our mind, we're going to be distracted. And Jesus is going to become no longer alluring to us. And your money and your investments and your vacations and your toys and whatever it might be or your children are, are going to take his place. And that doesn't mean you're going to go to the world. It just means you'll still show to church. You'll go to church. You'll warm your seat. You'll try to be a good person. But you're, you've lost the ability to bear fruit, which is God's entire intention for your life. You can stand. See, Jesus says, out of your own mouth, I'll judge you. Later on, he says, or earlier on, he says, by your words, you'll be justified, and by your words, you'll be acquitted, or by your words, you'll be judged. Why? Because what you speak is what you think. What you think is what you speak. So what comes out of you is a direct result of what you've allowed yourself to create in your, in your head. All I'm trying to say, guys, is, is you need to make Jesus beautiful again in your life and, and actually believe that your God's for you. Actually believe he's not against you. Actually believe that his blood can cover your sin. Actually believe that when you're praying, things are happening. Actually believe that you can pray like Jesus does in John 11. I thank you that you always hear me, Father. Are you understanding me? Just as Israel made a golden calf and worshipped it and said, this is God, so we also make golden calves in our brain and say, this is the way God is. And then God shows up in a different way. And then we're like, wait a minute. That's not not how he is at all. Because 
because how God responds and acts to us often you know, determines how we, how we view him. Do you realize that when, in John 11, when, when Jesus waited to go heal Lazarus, that everybody can look at that situation and go, God's, God doesn't care. But did he really? Actually, he cared so much. He allowed that to happen so they could see a greater part of his nature that they'd never seen before. And if you view your bad circumstances as if God doesn't care, instead of him revealing a part of his nature to you you've never seen before, then you're going to be seeing things through the Adamic nature and the Adamic mind. Instead of giving God time to show his glory to you. And giving him a minute. If you go read the story, it says, And Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, so he waited. It's not the love I think I want, right? Why aren't you doing it now, God? So he says, this stuff takes time. You're going to walk with me for the next 10, 12 years, and you're going to go through a lot. And those who, who, who endure to the end are going to be saved. Those who are still with me 12 years later, and they're still renewing their minds, and they still haven't quit, and they're still believing me in spite of their circumstances, those are my sons. See, mind renewal is a lifelong journey. I don't care where you are in this room. I don't care if you're more spiritual than everybody else in this entire room. You're not done with having your mind being renewed. You're not. Your ministry doesn't give you the right to not work on this. Because guess what? You can only take people as far as you've gone yourself. It's your responsibility to be for them what they need you to be. And that happens in your everyday life. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the deposit that you've placed in us. But God, we ask you to forgive us for not valuing that deposit and hiding it underneath the world and sin and distractions and money and chaos and our life and our this and our that. Because when you're your own son, the word of God said, seek first my kingdom. And there's many in here who haven't done that. They're seeking first their, their future, their, their this, their that, their money, their plans. They're seeking first their vacations. Their faithfulness is gone. They're, they're not faithful to you anymore because they've, they've served an idea of you. They've slipped. They've fallen down. And they haven't caused those mountains to be brought down and those valleys to be made up. So forgive them, God. Meet them where they're at. Show them that you're not sitting there waiting to beat them with their sin, but you're, you're, you're ready to beat their sin with the cross and remove it and separate it from them and heal them and redeem them and restore them. Forgive us for having a view of you that is not as you are so that when we come before you on the day of judgment, we can hear, well done, good and faithful servant. What are we faithful to? You. What you've said. What you've established. What you've created. What you've done. What you've manifested. That we're faithful to that. Faithful to what you started. Not what we created in the middle. So crush our golden calves. Let the kindness of God well up inside of you and draw you back to repentance. To changing how you think. The kindness of God leading you to changing how you think. Because God is kind. He's patient. He's loving. He's caring. 
He's not against you. He's for you. We worship you, Father, for who is sufficient for these things. Only Jesus, the Messiah, who rests in us. Bless your people. Make your face shine upon them. Be gracious to them. Lift up your countenance upon them. Give them shalom rest, Father. In Jesus' name.